Amen. How great thou art. What a powerful, powerful song. Tremendous message. Wow. Great singing tonight. Great music. Boy, we certainly thank the Lord for that. All right. Well, <clears throat> it's uh, our vision night, and you can go ahead and put that up there if you've found it, I trust, by now. And uh, there you go, Vision Night 2021. It's hard to see that thing up there compared to what it looked like on my screen. That, I was going to make that darker, but I thought it would cover up the Vision Night on my screen. But on those screens, it doesn't look nearly as dark. So we'll see how it goes. That's supposed to be a compass. Yeah, and that would look really cool if you knew what it was, wouldn't it? It'd be great. It'd be wonderful. All right, well, let's go ahead and get some started tonight again. We're glad you could be here. I'll tell you what, let's have a word of prayer right now. And then we'll just move on through. We're going to share a couple of things with you. And then I want to unveil the new theme for this year <clears throat> so that we can uh, kind of take off with that as we uh, kick off the new year. So, Father, we thank you for this time together. We're grateful for just what you have done for us and just everything that you have provided for us. We are a needy people, but we must admit you have been nothing but good to us. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for protecting us and watching over us through these months. We thank you for being with us the past year, but now we look forward to a new year. And we just ask that you would once again do a miracle in our lives and in this ministry. Lord, uh, may we see many more saved, uh, see many more saved this year, of course, than last year. May we see more baptized. May we recognize more people as lives being transformed and changed. May you just do a work in hearts and lives this year. Like never before, we'll thank you for it. We'll praise you. Now, bless this service, and Lord, help me to express the vision uh, that I have for this theme and just the desire that I have to see us go forward in light of it. Now, again, Lord, we love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so Vision Night 2021. <clears throat> Some things that took place this last year, of course, that were somewhat memorable. We'd have to admit that the live stream services were pretty memorable on the heels of the COVID virus as it kicked off early on, of course, last year, we realized uh, that the virus had come to the United States. We weren't sure exactly what we could expect. We didn't know how severe it would be or how bad it would be. And praise the Lord, it was nothing like they had said it would be. I mean, they had originally said that over 2 million people would die from the coronavirus. And of course, we know that's not the case. And so thank the Lord for that. And so many churches, along with ours, uh, took a few weeks where we did pretty much, uh, we did all live stream for about three weeks, and then, of course, we only went back to the Sunday morning service for a while, and then we eventually put on a Wednesday night and then a Sunday, and we got things back going again. But it took a little bit of time. We're trying to feel it out a little bit, make sure that we were being safe and using some common sense and ensuring that we were careful with the folks, uh, our church family here. And, of course, as we realized it was safe, we were able to bring things back and put things back in motion again. But we did. We did the live stream services, and I thought those were pretty memorable events. I still remember being up here on stage and no one being in the auditorium and doing our singing and our preaching and so forth during the, the church hours. A lot of churches pre-recorded a lot of things. We pre-recorded two services over the course of all those months that we, or those couple months that we did ours. But uh, we did everything live on, at the same time. When you saw it, is when it was happening. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty awesome uh, opportunity, and we enjoyed that uh, really a lot. We didn't enjoy it that much. <clears throat> so anyway, we, then we had uh, our, our Easter drive-in drive in service, and that was kind of an, a neat kind of thing. It was unusual, a little bit different. 
I'm glad to say that fortunately for us, we didn't f continue in that vein. We, we said, man, we're going to get back to services, and I'm glad we did. But that was really something that was memorable. I still remember, of course, like you probably do, being out in the parking lot, you know, up on that, that uh, scaffolding and preaching and so forth, and car people were beeping horns and putting out signs, you know, and all kind of stuff, you know, and that was kind of neat. And then we had our daily faith updates. I thought those went very well through the course of those months as we uh, found ourselves uh, navigating through uh, uh, the virus and some other issues. And then the VBS, our VBS went well. Although we didn't go out into the community like we normally do and push to get a number of visitors and try to reach out in that regard, we did put on a VBS that focused primarily on the needs of our youngsters here locally in our church. And again, although it was a much smaller version of our VBS, I felt like it went extremely well and I was very pleased with it. And so our VBS, a very memorable event. <clears throat> also, our weekend Bible clubs, I thought, went extremely well. I was glad to see that we were able to keep, uh, go out in the summer months and the good weather, and we were able to continue to keep contact with our bus children as well as our families somewhat, and we'd go to those uh, different neighborhoods, and we spent, we had three going at one time, and uh, it went very well. There were times we had children, um, one, one club at one, one week had over 30-some children in that one club alone. We averaged probably close to 17 to 20 in the one that I was part of, and the other was running probably around 15 to 20 in theirs as well. And so we had a good, a good solid, steady group of youngsters that attended our, Bible, our weekend uh, Bible clubs. And uh, we couldn't, or should I say we weren't running our buses at the time. And uh, as a result, I thought that was a tremendous event. And it was wonderful. Now our summer tent meeting, of course, not that awfully long ago. <clears throat> Boy, that was a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, that turned out well. Again, right over on the other side of the property here, and uh, just had a number of people coming in and out of the tent, as well as uh, our speaker, of course, Brother Ankrum, did a fabulous job. And so the, the, the summer tent meeting went wonderfully. Also, our missions conference, uh, that turned out well again also. And in spite of it being somewhat different and unique and kind of unusual, it turned out wonderfully. A night of wonder. I felt like that was a great time. We had Christmas, well, wonderful specials. The, the, the singers and the, the musicians did a fabulous job that night. I felt like that was just an event that we can remember and really just, uh, just, just, just you know, I don't know. I thought it was just wonderful. I enjoyed it very much. All right. Um, <clears throat> some victories over the year. Um, we, the direct mailer went extremely well. We, of course, you participated in it. A number of dollars were given uh, to uh, get the mailer out. We produced the mailer, sent it out. We had uh, a number of people respond to it. I had, uh, like I say, uh, uh, after my accident this past year, the police officer that uh, wrote me my, my accident report uh, reminded me that he had received one of those and told me how impressed he was with that flyer. And he, being a Christian, was extremely pleased with it and thought that it was just right on target had a number of neighbors uh, around uh, the community, and uh, from many of you said your neighbors recognized it, saw it, and it made an impact there. Now, again, we don't know, and nor will we ever know, the full impact of that particular mailer. But what we do know is that it did impact, and it really impressed a number of people, not just from community Baptist Temple standpoint, but the, the actual message was impressive. It, it, it hit a, a very tender spot and it addressed issues that we're facing or were facing at that time. So it was very, very productive. Then the restart of our adult ministries, it was good to get those back up and going again. 
and those are back again, and I think they're going well. Again, we haven't been able to go full bore with some of the activities and things we'd like to do. We're still feeling that out slightly in just a little bit, <clears throat> but uh, we were certainly glad to get that started and up and going again. Then our uh, ongoing pass-outs. We had a number of folks that were going out weekly passing out, and boy, that went tremendously well. We got thousands and thousands of uh, of, of pieces of literature into the hands of folks in our community. Uh, also, uh, we had that 10,000 that we did. We, we set it to do three weekends in a row. We knocked out the 10,000 in that three weekend period of time as well. You remember that not too awfully long ago, really. And right before winter came, we did that. And so that went well also. <clears throat> so there was 20, 30, 40,000, probably. I don't know exactly how many, but there were a number of flyers that got out. I would say it was well over 20 and maybe closer to 30,000. And so that's been good along the way. In spite of everything going on, we're still working to get the message out. Bus captains kept visiting their riders. While everybody else was not going out soul winning or visiting, our bus captains visited every single Saturday, went to all their bus children every week, and continued to visit the families and continued to visit the children throughout this whole time. They still do that. And they're doing that because they want to maintain contact with the children because, let me just say this, it's not just about bringing children to church, it's about a ministry to people. There's a big difference. See, it's easy to just give up on this. Well, at least we get the, the Saturday off now. That'll be nice. We can take it off, take it easy, relax. But our bus captains realized that this wasn't about getting taking it easy themselves. They realized there's a, a group of children and adults and families that need the influence and the impact of the gospel and the word of God. They continued to go. Never once did I have to uh, push, prod, or try to convince people to do their work and to do the job. They, they were ready to do it, get it done. Brother Josh did a good job of organizing that and making sure that it was being taken care of, and they, the bus captains were anxious to get that done. So I thought that was a tremendous uh, victory in my eyes that our bus captains continue to faithfully visit their bus kids this whole time. And that's, a, that's amazing, really, when you think about that. While the rest of us were taking it easy, kicked back, drinking a cup of hot chocolate, they were out on the highways and hedges. And then that's good. Glad somebody was. <laughs> did you get what I just said? I was sitting back drinking my hot chocolate. You guys didn't get that, did you? You thought I was ripping you. Oh, my. You guys are slow tonight. Okay, so anyway, what about our theme then? What about our theme? Well, good question. Let's turn to first, well, you don't have to turn there. It's right up there, right? First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, we, uh, for, actually, it's verse 9 through 10, excuse me. And I want to read that, and then we're going to take a little bit of time and look at the scriptures for just a moment and get a chance to see something from the Word of God. But over in there in the book of First Chronicles chapter 4, we begin reading in verse 9, and we read about a character by the name of Jabez. Now, a number of years ago, and it's been quite a few now, it seems like just yesterday to me, but it was a number of years ago, they made a big deal of old Jabez. Everybody seemed to be on the bandwagon. They were selling all kinds of stuff in Christian bookstores and making a lot of money on his name. And uh, it seemed like he just kind of went by the wayside once the money got, once everybody bought all the paraphernalia and the, 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 his notoriety kind of slipped and went by the wayside. But here just this year, I started looking at Jabez a little bit, and I kind of got, uh, got to thinking, man, he's a pretty special guy. He's pretty in, he's a pretty inspiring fella. And I want you to read about him here. And he says here, uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter uh, 4, verse 9, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. <clears throat> and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, 
Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Now, it's interesting because the Lord here, and especially in chapter 3, is going through the Davidic line, and he's showing uh, where Christ would come from. Uh, he, he's giving basically a genealogy, if you will, and in the midst of a genealogy, he breaks to tell us something about this particular man by the name of Jabez. Now, obviously, Jabez was unique. He was very special. Why would God take the time to do that? Well, we're going to try to see if we can't learn a few things along the way. First of all, when we think about some of the background, we look at Jabez, and again, he, he's believed to be the son of Kanaz, okay, or, or Cuz, and um, it doesn't really matter. But anyway, Jabez, okay, that's his, he's the, the son of Kanaz, okay? Now, that's what most believe. That's where it pretty much stands, all right? Then he's a well-known doctor of the law. Matter of fact, he was so well-known and his reputation reached around so far that ultimately there was a city by his name, Jabez. And so this guy was a pretty, uh, a pretty amazing person, and he made a tremendous impact uh, on many. Now, we're, not, we're, we're told very little of who and what he was. Again, what we read about Jabez is what we know about Jabez. Of what he was in relationship to the world, in relationship to fellow man, what he was to society or maybe in business, we don't know very much at all. We know very little about it. Of what he was to God, there's much said and much known, though, even in that small passage that we just read. And really, when it's all said and done, isn't that really what matters? Isn't what really matters what we are to God? I mean, that's really the key. Now, again, in our culture and in the world we live today, that's not usually too high on the priority of people, a priority list of people. But the fact is, is that that's a high priority in God's economy. And in this case, we, we learn quite a bit about him, or, uh, and as, at least concerning his, his uh, relationship to the Lord. Now, what we can be sure concerning Jabez was that he was all right. This guy was all right. Because see, when you're right with God, right toward Jesus Christ, you can take the rest for granted. If you're right with the Lord, then you know what? I got to believe you're going to be right in so many other areas. You know, it's when we get off track with God, then everything else starts to fall apart. Well, Jabez was right with God, and Jabez was all right then. I have no problem with Jabez. I'm sure he would have been a wonderful friend. He was probably a good father. He was just a a great uh, uh, employer. He was a good worker, all of those things, I'm sure. Why? Because he pleased the Lord. Now, it's his relationship with God and being right with God that gave Jabez the name, uh, gave Jabez a name in heaven and ultimately gave him a place in the word of God. That's what did it. If it wouldn't have been for that, he'd have been unnoticed. He'd have never been remembered. He'd have been an unknown. But he had a relationship with God. So what is said of him? Well, in verse 9, we learn something pretty quick right off the bat. We learn there, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. He was more honorable than his brethren. Now, the word honorable means respected, worthy of respect, regarded with esteem. So we learn that Jabez was more respected and regarded with esteem than those of his brethren. Man, he, he stood out. He was unique. He was special. Now, the word honorable also implies that Jabez had a, 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 held a distinguished rank in society that he had a position that was, was very esteemed, that was held up high. So not only was he himself as a person esteemed highly, 
but he also held probably a very esteemed position. We know, again, that a city was named after him, that he was a very learned man, and uh, he attracted many other people as a result. We're told that his mother also called him Jabez. Why? Because she bore him with sorrow. Now, that word sorrow then renders his name to be basically sorrowful. Others have wrote other things. I mean, I've never understood Bible names sometimes. You know, they say, what's the meaning of your name, Mark? Strong defender. Well, where'd you get that from? I have no idea. That's what somebody told me. You know what I'm saying? Look up the, name, the, the names, you know, what do names mean in this book? And look at what does this name mean in that book? And they, they can be different. Well, mine's strong defender. I like it, so I'll stick with it. But when it comes to the Bible, we do know that his mom stepped up to the plate and told us that she bare him with sorrow. She called him Jabez because of that. So, I, I, you know, sorrowful seems okay to some degree, I suppose. Now, Jabez then goes on to pray. And we see this prayer of Jabez. And right here it says, and Jabez, it says, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, and that it may, grieve, that it, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. <clears throat> now, we can't really be sure what prompted this prayer. Once again, we, we're not given that specific information, but what is clear is that Jabez placed little, if any, confidence at all in his own ability or even in the people in which he lived or with those people he lived with. I mean, he just really looked toward and was anxious for the help and blessing of God in his life. That's what he looked for. He was wanting God to do something great. He didn't depend on himself. He didn't depend on others. He depended on the Lord. Now, it's possible, it is possible that Jabez sought to overthrow the Canaanites from the very territory in which he occupied. Remember, the children of Israel had gone into the land, and there were still enemies there in the land at the time. Jabez could have very well been saying to God, I want to enlarge my coast. I want you to give me the victory over the enemy, God. And you know, it's interesting because if that was indeed the case, that would have been a request that I think God would have been anxious to answer, seeing that God himself had commanded it. Well, I tell you what, when you start asking God for the things that he wants for you, you're probably in a pretty good place to see them answered. Because remember, God wanted them to take the promised land, and God wanted them to remove the Canaanites, and God wanted them to get rid of the, the enemy, so to speak. Why? Because of their, their lifestyle. He did not want it to rub off on the Israelites. So I think if Jabez was indeed praying that he could overthrow the Canaanites from the territory in which he lived, I think God would be very pleased to honor that and to answer that request. What we do know is that God granted him what he asked for, though. That's what we know. And whatever the, under, whatever the undertaking may have been, whatever his goal was, Jabez enjoyed a remarkable degree of success here. And the Bible makes that clear. Now, he was honorable, yes. He was respected. He was affluent. He was successful. But again, Jabez found himself wanting, he didn't find himself wanting more for himself, really. What he really wanted was something more for God. That's really what he wanted. I'm sure that he appreciated what he'd been given by God already, but you know, he was content, yes, to a degree, with everything that God had for him and wanted for him. But he possessed a holy dissatisfaction that moved him to ask for more. Now, I, I, kind of, I like that about him. 
He wasn't discontented with what God had for him and what God had given him, but he had a holy dissatisfaction because he wanted more for God. Now, it's clear by God's response that Jabez's request wasn't made in the flesh because he answered it. The Bible says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. How many times do we ask for something, but it's really just for us or ours? It has nothing to do with increasing the kingdom. It has nothing to do with really making an impact in the world in which we live on, or for the cause of Christ. It's really just about our personal comfort, ease, or leisure. And the Lord says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Well, Jabez wanted more for God, yes. He also wanted more for himself in that regard in that sense, but not so that his reputation would grow beyond the present coast, (laughs) but that God's name would be glorified to the ends of the earth. That's what he really sought. Yeah, he wanted more, but he really wanted more so that God's name could be magnified, glorified, and exalted. So that's a wonderful thing. So let's take a moment and consider four aspects of his life. First of all, his faith. Jabez's faith. The Bible says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. Do you know that it takes great faith to ask great things? You know, you go to your mom, your dad, and you say, Mom, Dad, I would like you to buy me a Corvette for my 16th birthday. No, I mean a brand new one. Now, how many of you think your parents are going to buy you a brand new Corvette? Can I tell you the reason why you probably don't think that'll happen is because you know that's impossible. It'll never happen. You don't have any faith in mom and dad buying you that car. You know that they couldn't if they wanted to probably. You have no faith in them to do so. Now, again, you may say even if they had the money, they wouldn't give it to me, and I understand that too. But the truth is you have very little faith that you're going to get it, so you wouldn't even waste your time asking. Can I tell you, in order to ask God great things, you got to really have a great faith. You know why we don't ask God for bigger things or better things many times is because we just don't believe he's going to come through anyway. We have very little faith, therefore we ask for very little things for fear that we'll be disappointed in the very God we say we believe in. Jabez had a great faith. This word he says, he says in the passage, he says, and Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. You know, that word indeed means in reality, in truth, in fact. What he's saying is, Oh, that thou wouldest truly or surely bless me and expand my influence and impact in the world. That's what Jabez was really asking for. God's a big God, and he's able to provide anything and everything. But very few people take advantage of that. Jabez did. Jabez basically said, you know what? I'm coming to you because I believe you can provide it, God. I'm going to ask because I have confidence that you can and will answer prayer. Jabez is God. Jabez is faith. Kind of one and the same. But we notice Jabez's fear. You say, ah, Christians shouldn't have fear. Hold on. This is something you ought to be afraid of least concerned about. Notice he says in the passage, and that thy, thine hand might be with me. 
I believe personally that if there was one thing that concerned Jabez, there was one thing that bothered Jabez that made him worried about the future is he did not, for any reason, want to go forward without God. That's one thing I believe that took place in his life. He says to God in verse 10, he says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. Yes, indeed, he asked the question, he made the request, but he says, and that thine hand might be with me. See, I, I think that his faith was great, but I think he had a fear and a concern that if anywhere, any point in my life, God, the one thing I don't want to do above all things is to go forward without you. Although he had experienced that tremendous success that we talked about, although he had known what notoriety was to this point in his life, he understood the temptation to become very self-sufficient, to become independent of God. And may I say that you and I need to be very aware of that as well. He never wanted to fall into Satan's trap of trusting his own efforts or his abilities versus trusting and depending upon God. Moses was another character in the word of God that demonstrated this concern. After you remember Moses, after coming down from the mound and finding the people engaged in idolatry and immorality, God was angry at the people. And God was so angry that he was fearful that he might just destroy them along the way. So he tells Moses to go forward and that he would send an angel to go before him and to guide them into the promised land. But Moses hadn't, would have none of it. Moses just wouldn't go there. He, he, he wouldn't let that happen. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 34, the Bible says, Therefore now go, lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. He says, nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. What he's saying is, listen, I'm going to send my angel, Moses, to go before, before you to lead you into the promised land. But listen, I, 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 otherwise, it's possible I might just wipe them out. After their sin and the way they treated me and the way they've treated you, it's, you know what, I don't think I can handle it. I get around them sinners enough, I just may go off. So how does Moses respond to that? In Exodus 33, 15 now, a chapter later, he says, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. If you don't go before us, God, I don't want your angel, I want you. I don't want second place, I want first place. I want your first, but your first place, God, and I choose you, I want you to go before us. I don't want to take this people forward. I don't want to end up in a promised land. I don't want to go anywhere without you. I believe that's exactly how Jabez felt. And that thine hand might be with me. God, I'm asking you, I'm begging you. Be with me. Let your hand be upon me. No success in life would be worth it, Jabez says, if for some reason you weren't there. Moses had proved himself to be very courageous while facing Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt. He was courageous while he stood steadfast amidst the angry mixed multitude, no doubt about it. But when he faced going forward without God, he was scared out of his mind. And he knew no one or nothing else would do but God himself. 
So we noted Jabez's faith. We noted his fear, but notice something else about Jabez. Notice his fight. That thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. What's he fighting more than anything? Okay, we said, well, is it possible that he was fighting the Canaanite? Was it possible that he was trying to remove them from the land that God had given them? It's possible. He said, expand my coast. Let's get rid of the heathen. Remove them from the land. That's possible. But his greatest fight wasn't with the Canaanite. His greatest fight was with Satan and sin. That thou wouldest keep me from evil and that it may not grieve me. When we see the word evil there, often we just kind of think about bad things or wicked things, but in truth, we have to remember in the word of God, many times you see the word evil, it's talking about the evil one. He understood the devastation of sin. I mean, he knew that there was a spiritual battle that raged within and without each and every day of his life. Sin and Satan was sitting on his doorstep night and day. He'd wake up in the morning, he'd go to bed at night, and he knew that Satan was waiting for him to trip up. Satan was trying to get him to be tempted out of the literal goodness of God to to, to ultimately choose sin over the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the fight was real, it was ongoing. And again, he knew the devastation of sin in a life. He understood it. He was well aware through observation. He was well aware through experience that Satan is ruthless and he is relentless in his pursuit of the believer. Therefore, he prays and he asks God for protection and deliverance from sin and, of course, its inevitable consequences. Isn't it amazing how we think we're going to escape the consequences of sin? Let me tell you something. When he says, he says, if... For thou, he says, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, yes, that it may not grieve me. I'm going to tell you, sin will grieve you. The consequences of sin will leave you in a very poor position, a battered position, a burdened position. See, the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. We think the Christian life is hard. Live in sin. It'll weigh you down. Oh, I know there's pleasure in sin for a season. But just a season. And you know, the more effective we become for God, the more determined Satan is to take us down. But fortunately, God's on our side. I think about John chapter 10, verse 10. In John 10, 10, the Bible says, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I believe Jabez was well aware of that when he said, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, or the evil one, and that, thou, that, thou may, that, that it may not grieve me. I think he understood very well that Satan was after nothing but his total destruction and annihilation. But on the other hand, the Lord Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So we've taken a moment, and so far we've, we've looked at four aspects of Jabez's Life, or three so far, and we have the fourth now. We know Jabez's father. And God granted him that which he requested. We learn a lot about God when he answers our prayers. A lot about God. 
First of all, we learn he's a father possessing unconditional love. I mean, Jabez was a good man, a godly man, and it appears that he stood above all others or many others, at least in his day. But can I tell you, he was still a sinner. Can I tell you that God doesn't owe us anything, that we don't deserve any answers to prayer, and yet God so often gives us answers to our prayers? Man, that says something about the God that we serve. He is a God, a father, possessing unconditional love. Not only that, but he's a father possessing unlimited resources. Enlarge my coast, God. Meet my needs. Protect me from Satan. Do all of these things. God, can you do it? God says, absolutely, I have unlimited resources. I mean, what is it we're going to do? Are we going to, we're going to try to skirt around our taxes? We're going to try to get over on God? We're going to get over on our, our government? We're going to try to, to do things in a way that we can just avoid things that are very uncomfortable for us financially and will be wrong in doing so, but it's okay because it's not right anyway. Let me tell you something. Do you know that God's big enough to pay the bills? I mean, what, what, are, we gonna, what are we talking about? We've got God. He has unlimited resources. And you know what? He's glad to hand them over to us if we'll use them for his glory. Now, if we're going to consume them on our own lust, that's a problem. We don't need to get over on God. We don't need to get over on man. God's big enough to meet the need. God's big enough to pay the bill. God's big enough to provide because he has unlimited resources. We should know that after what God did here. What God continues to do, it's amazing, it's a miracle. It's a testimony of who he is and what he's all about. Not only a father possessing unconditional love or unlimited resources, but unrivaled ability. I mean, there's no one can do what God can do. But when Jabez went to God, he was going to the right one. He could have turned to his family. He could have turned to his friends, but he didn't. He turned to God. Now, there's nothing wrong with family and friends lending a hand at all, but who's the first one that you and I turn to? Hopefully, it's the God of heaven, the one who has unrivaled ability. So we have Jabez, four aspects of Jabez, four things about him. So what do I see in the life of Jabez that inspires me and I believe will inspire you tonight? What is it? What is it about his life that makes, I believe, for a very powerful theme for 2021? Well, first of all, Jabez never settled. See, he always wanted to accomplish and do more for God. He always pursued a stronger and more fervent relationship with God. We see that in his prayer. Not only that, but he always sought to perfect his character by fleeing from Satan and sin in hopes of escaping its chains and its consequences. We see that about Jabez. See, he never settled. So with that in mind, what's this year's theme? If you haven't already guessed, never settle. 
Never settle. Never settle. In, in the Chronicles, of course, he says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. Listen, I'll I tell you what. This Jabez, he was never satisfied with a little. He wanted a lot. And he didn't want a lot for himself. He wanted a lot for God, first and foremost. But yes, he wanted something for himself. It's amazing to me in the world we live in how quickly we settle today. Again, my concern is that the high ideals, those elevated expectations, the pursuit of excellence that once most, most people embraced have been replaced with apathy, laziness, and lethargy that lends itself to mediocrity. And can I tell you, in Christianity today, it seems like mediocrity is perfectly fine for most. We have been programmed to accept less than perfect today to accept good instead of the best, to be content by simply getting by. If I get by, it's good enough. Can I tell you, I'm not just talking about our spiritual lives today either. I'm talking about a man who provides for his family and he's working 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week and he's making 10 bucks an hour, but he could make 15 if he took a night class, not on Wednesday nights, if he took a night class and he got a little bit of a better education, but instead he's lazy and he says to himself, this is good enough. <clears throat> I'm sorry, but he's settling. Why would I put 40, 50, or 60, or 70, or 80 hours a week into my work making half what I could make if I could do it? Why do we settle today? Why do we settle with just participating instead of wanting to win? We have been programmed to accept something less than everything God intended for us. Jabez, like so many others in the Bible, point out that we can never settle in this life for things. You can't just settle. Neither can I. You and I both. We can't settle. And as we make this our theme this year at the church, obviously, our greatest emphasis is on not settling in this spiritual area, our spiritual life. I mean, think about it. We're saved by accepting perfection. Jesus Christ was perfect. He was sinless. And we, we were saved by accepting perfection. We were, perf uh, perfection, uh, excuse me, perfection lives within us now. Jesus himself lives in my heart, my life. The word of God we live by is perfect. As believers, we're called to what? Perfection. And we live, we'll be judged one day by a perfect standard. Man, it seems like perfection, perfect, this real big part of our Christian life. Our perfect Savior will only truly be happy with a perfect effort. And you know, I'm concerned tonight for Christianity across the board, around the world, especially in America, because it seems that we are so content to just put forth an effort when he wants a perfect effort. He wants our best effort. He doesn't want us to settle. We can't, he can't settle for doing well. We've got to be only happy when we do our best. We, we cannot settle for making it. We must only be happy by reaching our potential. 
That's important to me. I don't know if it's important to you. But it seems to me today that too many areas of our Christian lives, well, it's good enough. We have settled. And today, as I present this theme for 2021, I want to say, never settle. Stop settling. We can't be content with mediocrity. We just can't do that if we want to reach the world with the gospel. We can't do that if we want to provide for our families as God intended. We can't do that if we want the kind of marriage God wants for us. We can't do that if we want to raise the kind of children that God intends. We can't do that if the ministry is going to grow and be everything God intended it to be. We can't do that even in our own personal lives and be everything God wants us to be as a person, an individual, as a believer. We can't do that if we settle. We can't do it. So this year, I want to say, let's never settle. Let's not settle in our marriages. That's good enough. Me and my wife, we get along. Seriously? When it could be better? You're just going to settle for good when it could be great? Well, my kids are good kids. When they could be godly kids? We're going to settle for good? What's wrong with us? No kid ever got to heaven by being good. And no kid ever escaped the turmoil and the troubles of this life by being good. Godliness is what they need in the midst of this darkness. Our walk with Christ, well, it's all right. Seriously? We're going to settle for all right? Is it everything you think or want it to be? Well, no, but. Well, but means you've just settled. Your ministry, you know, I've got a good class. Could it be better? I, have, I teach, I'm a pretty good teacher. Could you be better? Why are you going to settle? You're going to make them settle for that too? Come on, amen. Well, how's your class growing? Well, it's not really growing, I mean, but it's all right. Oh, so you've settled. You've settled. Oh, good. Isn't that wonderful? It's no wonder that we are losing our country today. When Christians can settle... Let's go ahead and blame the next president. Let's blame the vice president coming up. Let's blame the present president. Let's just blame anybody and everybody except where the responsibility often lies. The people of God. We're supposed to be the salt. We're supposed to be the light. Well, what are we going to do about it? We just got to settle. And that's why we're in the predicament we're in. Never settle. See, I don't believe Jabez ever settled. He always wanted something more from God and for God. He wanted something more from God, and he wanted something more for God. You say, I don't think our goal at this church should be to grow it. I think it should be to grow the people within. Let me tell you what, God's going to be glorified when we do both. This idea that we got to pick or choose one or the other. We don't. We need to grow people within. Why? So they can go out and reach others with the gospel and bring them in as part of the family. God doesn't expect visitors to show up that are lost to come to our house to worship with us. He expects us to go out and win them and bring them in. 
Because listen, the lost don't want nothing to do with the light. That makes no sense. So you got to go out and win them and then bring them in. That's how it really works. If we're waiting for the church to grow itself, it's going to take a long time. And can I tell you, God doesn't want us to settle for what we have. And although what we have may be a wonderful thing, as I see that choir tonight, I said to myself, praise God, we're back. But let me tell you something. That's not the end game. It's not enough. Why? Because God still deserves the best we have, not just to settle. F.B. Meyer said, let us be inspired with a holy ambition to get all that God is willing to bestow. Don't you want everything God's willing to bestow in your life, in your marriage, in your ministry, in your home? Don't you want everything God is willing to bestow? Are we just going to say, I'll settle, It's, it's okay. What I got's good enough. Why settle when you don't have to? Never settle. Never settle. Five considerations concerning our theme. Remember, never settle. If we never settle, we're less likely to waste time. If you never settle, you'll find yourself feeling really awkward wasting time. I didn't say... And listen, being busy is not necessarily productive all the time. We're talking about being productive with our time. We're talking about not wasting it. Also, what's another consideration? Well, we're bound to obtain goals. If, if we never settle, sooner or later, we're going to reach some goals in our life. If we have this desire to never settle for where we're at and what's going on, and we always want something more, more for ourselves, more for others, and more for God, and more for the ministry, and more for the world, and all those good things that go with it, let me tell you something. You'll obtain some goals in your life. You'll reach some goals in your life. Not only that, but we're sure to accomplish more for God in the end. Because when we stop wasting time and we start obtaining goals on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, we're going to accomplish more for him overall. Never settle. If I settle, then this is as good as it gets. Well, we took the time to build this beautiful edifice. Man, I mean to tell you, it's gorgeous. And boy, we thank the Lord for it. And this is wonderful. But why do we have to keep pushing forward? Can't we just rest now? You mean, can't we just settle? We won't accomplish anything for God if we settle. Yeah, but look how beautiful this is. And and look at the wonderful service we had. Can I tell you, God doesn't gauge things the way you and I do. God's looking at us and asking a question. Do I see growth in their life? Do I see growth in their ministry? Do I see growth in their attitude and their outlook? Not, Not what's going on, but where's it leading and where's it going? Because see, God doesn't live in the now. He lives in eternity. He's looking at the future already. And he can see where we're going to be as opposed to where we are. And my friend, if we're not moving toward where we should be, God is not pleased even if we're where we think we should be. We are more apt to reach our potential. If we never settle, 
I'm not talking about being discontented. I'm not talking about not happy with what God's given me. I'm not happy with the wife you gave me. I'm not happy with the husband you gave me. My kids are a bunch of losers. Man, I'm gonna tell you right now, I can't stand my Sunday school teacher, and I'm sick and tired of this, and I'm tired of that. My job really stinks. Well, get a new one. Not a new wife, <laughs> a new husband, but a new job. But never settle. Make it better then. Quit complaining about it and pray about it. <clears throat> and then do something to change it. God will give you the grace. And you'll be able to reach your, your potential. Most of us will never reach our potential, will we? Because we'll allow so many other things to distract us from it. But God wants us to reach our potential. Finally, we're more likely to hear well done. I mean, if we will say, I'm never going to settle for the present state of my Christianity. My prayer life is good, but it could be better. My, my, my reading is good, but it could be better. My study time could be good, but it could be better. My memorization is good, but it could be better. And you say, where's it end? You'll never be happy. Oh, you can be happy, but you're happy going forward, not staying stagnant. I don't, I don't know about you, but man, I'll tell you what. One of the worst things about being sick with the COVID for me at least, the worst thing for me was that I was stuck sitting around. I felt like I was growing roots from the backside. I mean, it was horrible. Accomplishing nothing in my mind. Miserable. Sitting around. And I can't imagine. I, I tell people all the time, listen, old people are the toughest people I know, I say. Man, they're not only they in pain, but in some cases, like some of our shut-ins, they're stuck at home trying to face and deal with life. And I'm telling you what, you think you got problems? Have to sit at home all day, every day, and never be able to get out of the house. My friend, that takes guts. And that takes a lot of faith to, be, to, to, to trust God with that situation. When you're used to getting up and going and doing, and now you just got to sit. Man, that's rough. I don't know about you, but I don't like just sitting. I don't like going to my job and just being mediocre. I wanted to always be the best. I don't care if it was McDonald's flipping a hamburger. I wanted to be the fastest. I wanted to be the best. And I wanted the boss to say, if there's anybody I want working for me, it's you, O'Donnell. When I was in the military, I wanted my shoes to shine brighter than anybody's. I wanted my uniform to look the sharpest. I wanted my sergeant bear to say, if there's anybody I can count on, if there's anybody I want to take a bunker with, it's you, O'Donnell. But too many times we settle. We can't do that. We're not going to hear well done from our commander-in-chief if we settle. Never settle. So what's next then? What's next? You're going to really love this slide. That's up to you. You can go one way or the other. It is up to you what happens next. Not just in our ministry, but in your own life more than anything. Yeah. Never settle. It's up to you. Which way are you going to go? You're going to turn toward mediocrity or continue maybe in that vein if that's the direction you've been going? Or are you willing, if you've been going that way, to take another turn and to go toward an another direction? What are we going to do as a ministry? What direction will we choose? 
Will we choose to relax and to take it easy and say, well, you know, COVID's with us and, you know, it's just easier just to just stay out of the limelight. It's just simpler and less difficult to not necessarily confront people or talk to people now. Nobody wants to hear the gospel from anybody now, especially now. They're afraid you're going to give them the COVID. They're afraid you're going to get them sick. Let me tell you something. We may be like this for the next year, two, or three, or you're seeing it's already hitting me. It may be like this for years to come. Because if it isn't COVID, I promise you, they're going to want to start something else. Because when it's all said and done, the only thing the world wants is you to depend on it instead of God. That's how Satan works. What, what direction are you going to travel tonight? It's up to you what goes on now. It's up to you what goals are achieved. It's up to you what we do even as a ministry and what we accomplish as a result of week in, week out, church, witnessing, serving, surrendering. It's up to you. Because if you choose the wrong, make the wrong choice, it affects the whole church. We're still just a body here. Can you imagine my one finger saying, I'm not going with you. I'm staying home tonight. Uh, if you don't go with me, I'm going to have a hard time turning the pages tonight. Yeah, well, I'm just wore out. I'm tired. I'm just going to stay home. You can't stay home. You've got to go with me. I don't function optimally if you don't show up tonight. Well, that's not my problem. It is my finger's problem. It's part of the body. It ultimately affects the whole negatively. Tell you what, you're going to make the choice then. It's up to you. What, what now? That's up to you. You know what? I have learned something about the brothers and sisters and this church and this church family is that to this point, we've always made the right decision. We've always gone the right direction. We've always chosen the hard thing over the simple and easy. If it means serving the Lord, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. You know what? That's what we're going to need here coming up in the future. Life's not going to get any easier for the believer. You know, we might as well just plan on planting our feet firmly and moving forward for God. Just get it done. And you know what we'll do? If there's an issue or there's a problem, we'll address it when the time comes. But we could continue to, to create problems in our mind that may never, ever happen. We're just going to take steps and go their direction, see what God does, and we'll trust him with it. So never settle. Never settle. I wonder, how's your marriage tonight? Do you find yourself settling for a good marriage when it could be better? Or a mediocre marriage when it could be good? What about your children? You content with them just being good enough? Or do you want godly children? What about your ministry or your, your Christian life, I guess, more than anything? Where are you at on that? I mean, you content to just simply reading the Bible real fast and over with, doing your duty and then moving on, or do you really want a relationship with the Lord that makes a difference in your life and the lives of others around you? Are you just content to settle? Tonight, our theme is never settle. And I'm encouraged by that. 
I want it to continue to inspire me and move me along through the year. I, like Jabez, want to enlarge my coast. Personal life, family life, marriage, ministry, every aspect of my life, I don't want to simply settle for mediocrity. I want everything God wants for me. And I believe you do too. Tonight, let's never settle. Let's make a decision to never settle, but to get everything God wants for us, that he might be glorified and magnified as he well deserves. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We're asking, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and work in our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't settle. Settle for the wrong kind of friends. Settle for the wrong kind of thought life. Settle for the wrong kind of influences. But Lord, we'd make up our minds. We want everything you want for us. That if our marriage isn't exactly in everything you want it to be, that we'd take steps to make it everything you want it to be. That we wouldn't settle for that. Our ministries, we wouldn't settle. Our walk and our faith with you, we wouldn't just settle. We want everything we can get. We don't want to go, up, go before, we don't want to go forward without you either. We want your hand on our shoulder just like Jabez did. Help us, Lord, to never settle. And to say, large and, say, Lord, enlarge my coast. Oh, enlarge my coast, Lord. Not that I might be glorified. Not that my name may reach the ends of the earth, but that yours does. We'll thank you and praise you for it. We'll give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.